Welcome back to the monthly Alts Pulse. I'm Michael Sigmore, co-founder and partner of Broadhaven Ventures and founder of the Altco's Mainstream Podcast. I'm here with Lawrence Calcano, chairman and CEO of iCapital. Welcome back today. Thanks, Michael. Great to be with you as always. Great to be here. We have a lot to discuss. I want to discuss something at the intersection of big trend that's occurring in this space, which is the rise of this, I'll call it super wealth platform or super RIA, where there's so much consolidation happening in this space. And many of these platforms need to have private markets capabilities as they offer certain differentiation of clients to advisor teams who join, et cetera. That coincides with the growth in private markets. So I wanna discuss that. First, let's get to what's going on this month. What are you seeing? And I think that'll bleed in really well to that whole conversation about the theme, about this rise of the super RA. Sure, thanks. I think the trends we talked about last month around the importance of credit, yield, et cetera, particularly yield producing real estate, that continues. Um, but beyond that, I would say we're seeing a renewed interest in private equity, growth equity, and so forth. And I think that obviously is connected to the, the improvement in the stock market. Um, that, that is typically a driver of interest there. I'd say those are the, the big themes we're seeing in terms of the flows. Is that because you feel that things are starting to get priced in with rate hikes and people have an acknowledgement that, okay, maybe IPO window could open up, who knows, but maybe it'll open up. And that's kind of driving people's interest in saying, oh, let's invest in closed-end funds, longer dated, now's a good time to do private equity venture as vintages in 23, 24? I think it's more just a function of the certainty that people are starting to feel again. Probably certainty is a little bit of an overstatement, but people are feeling generally better. It might very well be that the Fed has engineered a soft landing. And when you go back a couple of episodes ago, people were very focused on the high likelihood of a recession. And I think today, people are now thinking we might very well avoid a recession. That's creating some comfort and some firmness in stock prices. And I think that's the underlying impetus for people to be willing to commit again to these longer live strategies. So do you think that provides optimism for a lot of these private equity funds that are going out and raising? In some cases, we're seeing record fund raises. CVC raised 26 billion euros or so. Yep. Uh, Ardian had a very huge raise as well. But a lot of funds are still struggling to raise. So are, what are you seeing from the GP side of the world? There's no question. The fundraisings in general are taking a lot longer. We're seeing that really ac across the board. And I think that will likely continue for a little bit. But as you're pointing out, the leaders are definitely getting their funds raised. It might take longer, but they're getting their funds raised. And I think we get through this year with the certainty of getting through this without a recession and it, it continuing to improve equity markets, I think you'll start to see the cycle time and some of the fundraising start to close again. I want to talk about this rise of the super wealth platform. For context, that's like, not to name names, but the Rockefellers of the world, $100 billion plus platform, Serity, Wealthspires, Crescent. These are $40, $50 billion plus platforms that are really leveraging private markets as a way to grow their platforms and provide more offerings to their clients as well as their advisor teams. That really coincides with the rise of alts and private markets and the rise of platforms like iCapital that are enabling that to happen. I'd love to hear your thoughts first on that's such a big trend that's happening in this space. What do you make of that and how does that coincide with the growth of iCapital's business? Well, I, I would say this is a trend that has been going on for a while. More and more firms have entered the market 
from the perspective of being aggregators. Five, seven years ago, there were a small number of firms that were, quote, aggregators that were building kind of networks of RIAs, et cetera. Now you have those firms. You have private equity, which has taken a huge interest in the wealth management market. And then you have the firms themselves who have gotten large and are going to continue to get large as they aggregate more firms around them. So I think that that trend, the momentum, is clearly picked up. And as they get larger, they're obviously dealing with a broader range of clients. And they want to make sure that they have a very sophisticated offering to bring to their clients. And I think that's a really important point. The sophistication of your investment platform is very attractive to underlying clients who want to have a lot of options to be able to make investments. So I think this trend of the sort of aggregator of the super RAA is probably going to accelerate the adoption of alternatives in the marketplace. So it's interesting to think about where we were to where we are today. High Capital, we worked with a lot of these platforms, whether it's the dynasties, the high towers, the focuses, exactly, and the Rockefellers. And you've grown as they've grown. Yep. And it's interesting to think about what their needs were at the time and what their needs are today. How has that evolved? It's a really great question. And, And I think for a lot of firms, they were growing very quickly largely through M&A as well as organic growth. And, and when you bring in advisors from either independent firms or from other firms, you're taking them with whatever the state of their, quote, client book looks like. And a lot of firms made different decisions as to how they invested in alts, for example. And so you kind of fast forward a few years of doing this, and now you have a very large advisor team that have all invested in alts in different ways. And so as you step back and say, you know, I need to be a a great risk manager in addition to an investment platform, I've got to figure out what I have, how do I organize it, and how do I put myself in a position to scale and, and to grow even further on the alt side. And so a lot of the firms are now stepping back and saying, I need infrastructure. And I think that's what we've been trying to provide for a long time. So I think what's happening with the emergence of these sort of mega investment firm platforms, whether they're IBDs or RIAs, is a very positive trend for our business. And we actually think we can provide an enterprise software platform for them to continue to scale and risk manage their business as they continue to grow. So what seems interesting about this independent wealth channel is that the needs may be different based on the firm relative to the wirehouses, which I think you can have a more standardized offering in the sense that a lot of the wirehouses will need the same types of capabilities, whereas independent platforms may want their own capabilities in certain ways or different ways. Would you say that that's true or not? I'm not sure I agree with that, and here's why. As these firms get really large, I mean, look, the wirehouses are really large, the wirehouses have been very active alts users, if you will, or providers of alt choices for their advisors and clients. And as these independent RIAs continue to grow, while they might have a different model, fiduciary model versus a broker-dealer model, they're still large firms with lots of advisors, and they have to be able to manage and control. They have compliance, probably increasing compliance obligations, And so they've got to now have an infrastructure that 
isn't going to be that different than what the wirehouses need to have. They've got to manage their business. They've got to provide great investments. They've got compliance obligations. They've got educational obligations. And so I think those firms, again, while they might practice differently, are going to need the same type of infrastructure that a wirehouse would need to grow and succeed. What are the infrastructure or technology needs that these firms have? I'd say, first and foremost, they need to be able to track what their advisors have invested in on behalf of clients. And as I said, as you aggregate advisors, day one, you don't really know all the things that you have. They've got to be able to track everything. They've got to be able to manage it, monitor it. They've got to be able to report on all of that. And they have to be able to provide increasing array of investment choices for their larger advisor teams to be able to access. And they need to be able to create, in, in our view, a common advisor and client experience. If I'm a, an advisor at a firm, and the way I subscribe to fund one is this way in an automated fashion, and the way I subscribe to fund two is a paper-based uh, process, I'm not gonna be very happy. And this business really starts and stops at the advisor's desktop. So you've gotta help the advisor be as efficient as he or she possibly can to be able to serve their clients. How do you think about that, not just in the context of the operational lift that you're helping advisors with, but also investment product innovation. What I mean by that yep. is advisors will have different clients varying from the ultra high net worth, the qualified purchaser to accredited investor, maybe even non-accredited investor within their book. And some of these platforms may have all of those types of clients. How have you thought about the ability to offer and structure different types of products for the advisor community in that context? Well, we've done basically what you just said. And as we've grown, iCapital started offering QP private equity. Now we, we have more accredited products on our platform by a long shot than we have QP oriented products. And why? Because it reflects the advisors that we're serving. And as advisors get larger, their client mixes grow and they now need to provide products for their QPs, their QCs, their AIs, accredited investors, as well as sub-accredited investors. And our menu or our marketplace and platform reflect the fact that advisors need a very broad set of products to be able to serve their advisors and clients well. I want to double click on this point because I think it's to the outsider looking in, this feels very simple. You create a vehicle or a feeder fund and you enable people to invest at lower minimums. In reality, it's much more complex than that. There sure. are different product structures. There's not just feeder funds. What would you say to that comment? Well, it's true. I mean, feeder funds were the predominant way that we did business three, four, five years ago. It is not the predominant way that we do business today because of the fact that so many more accredited investors are now very interested in alternatives. And advisors are very focused on making sure the, those investors in their book have as robust an opportunity to invest in alternatives as their QPs do qualified purchasers. And so again, our product mix has evolved to serve up those kinds of products with the same thought process that we've always had, which is these products need to be offered pursuant to robust educational mandate. And by the way, the advisors as they grow need to make sure that 
they're providing that increasing education to their advisors and clients. So that's a big piece of it. The structuring of investments will be different, the legal requirements and, and legal differences in terms of what people can and can't buy. So providing the right types of products for all the clients and making sure, as I said earlier, that there's a common experience. Subdocs are certainly different in QP products, but I wanna be able to learn about and subscribe to products in a very similar automated way. And I want to be able to get my reporting to my clients on a timely basis and in a way that makes it easy for the advisor to provide a lot of transparency to the underlying clients. What do you think's the hardest thing to do when it comes to private markets infrastructure that most people wouldn't realize? Well, I mean, I, there, there are challenges throughout. I mean, there's a lot, capital calls, distributions, those are largely QP-oriented activities, but, but, but that's a process, particularly when you have thousands of investors in a fund. Making sure that people have all the material, the educational activity, making sure that advisors are qualified to sell products, making sure it's appropriate to show certain clients' products. And, and there's a, a whole, sort of back infrastructure. When you think about some of these AI products, you're now introducing a, a broader ecosystem. You've always got administrators, you have those in QP products, but you've got transfer agents, custodians are always involved. And a big part of what we're trying to do is automate that whole ecosystem. If you automate sort of a point-to-point -point part of a process, but it's only a part of a process, you've got some improvement, but you've not really moved the needle. So we're trying to create automation throughout this whole ecosystem so that the experience for advisors, clients, and all the people who touch that transaction is much better. And I think the holy grail from our perspective is having this whole ecosystem operate in an automated fashion. When you say that, that brings my mind to the concept of an operating system. Yes. Kind of like different business, but kind of like Salesforce. And people use Salesforce as kind of like their way of doing business. Correct. In technology writ large. How do you think about that comparison to the conceptual framework to how you're building it? It's app? an apt analogy, right? We're trying to create a platform or an operating system for people to be able to grow, scale, and succeed in this asset class. And we have an increasing adoption. We talk most about the distribution platforms that have onboarded iCapital, the GPs that are using iCapital. But there's a lot to talk about in terms of the partnerships we have with custodians and how we're automating there, the partnerships we have with transfer agents, administrators, and how we're automating there as well. And again, I think if you can create sort of an end-to-end -end automation, people can buy and sell equities with clicks on a phone or an iPad. Alts will never be that simple, but we're trying to make the process of buying and owning a, an alternative investment almost as easy as a mutual fund. Still a lot to do in building out that sort of end-to-end -end automation, but we think that's where you get to the place where when you look at the at target allocations at the large banks or some of the large aggregated RIAs, they're talking about 20 to 25% asset allocation to alts. Well, we won't get there until the process by which that happens is really automated. I think once it's all automated, then you're gonna see people's willingness to invest in, the, in these assets just go way up. On that point, what's the feedback that you're getting from your LP clients, the wealth community, on ways in which they do business? on a day-to-day -day workflow that you're then able to input into the experience for them. 
Sure. So it, it gets back to this sort of operating system comment that you made. As these firms grow and, and get larger, the, the need to have an operating system to scale just goes way up. And given that they're all very focused on scaling, in most industries, scaling is uniquely enabled by technology and the adoption of technology. That's been something that I'd say as we've evolved, it's gone from making it easy for an advisor to deal with these products to making it easier for everybody in that advisor's facility, the, the team that does the diligence, the team that approves funds, the ops team, the advisor, the advisor's clients, and then all the other firms I alluded to in the, in the last couple minutes, making it easy for all of them to scale, again, is uniquely enabled by technology. And that's what we want to deliver to this ecosystem. So that piece of things now feels like table stakes. We've both talked to plenty of advisors, and yep. a lot of them have said that Alt has provided and is providing differentiation for them when it comes to client acquisition or client retention. Going forward, now that iCapital has become an industry standard platform and people are using alts, what's the next phase of differentiation for these advisors when you think about, you provided alts to them, that helped them, what's next? I, I gotta just interrupt the premise of your question for a second because your question assumes or presumes that all of that is done already. It's not all done. People may understand that technology is important to be able to scale, but that doesn't mean it's all complete. Still a lot of work to make that happen. In terms of where we go from here, we touched on this a little bit in the last episode. It has to be that for an advisor advising a client, he or she needs the same tools to do that effectively that they might have with the the balance of the portfolio, the 60-40 part of the portfolio. So having the educational material, the portfolio construction tools, the risk management tools, all of those things that they enjoy today with the portfolios they've been managing today need to also include alts in a profound way. If alts end up being 25% of a portfolio, that's not an alternative. It's a core part of the portfolio. So you need core tools to help you do that well. So is the next phase of this that it's no longer called alternative. <laughs> we talked about that. I, I personally think that these are not and will not be alternatives in the future. They will just be a core part of the portfolio. Somebody's equity portfolio will include publicly traded stocks, ETFs, private companies, a venture fund, a buyout fund, et cetera. Credit will be corporates, munis, treasuries, direct lending fund, BDC, go down the line, real estate, et cetera. And people will think again about their portfolio in terms of allocations to asset classes, but within each asset class, there'll be some investments that are liquid and some investments that are illiquid. And I think a lot of what an advisor is going to have to do is really understand the client's underlying receptivity to illiquidity and make sure that the products that go into any one of those buckets are products that, that make sense in the context of that client's portfolio. An interesting thread to pull on, which we'll have to do on the next episode, is a recent podcast I did with a global macro hedge fund manager, John Burbank, founder of Passport Capital and now Nimble. He said that the, the biggest advantage an investor can have is duration. Yep. What do you make of that? Well, I, th I think if an investor has duration and the, a willingness to, to lock up capital, for some part of their portfolio, they'll probably have returns that will reward that capability or that willingness. 
that's a great way to, to wrap this up and we're to the final question, which is, we need a monthly quote. I will tell you that the quote I'm going to share with you is not a quote that is recent, but I was reminded of it as we were having this conversation, which I remember when we announced a big partnership with Schwab, when they announced their alternative investment platform, and we were the launch partner for them. I was at Impact, and I remember being at the booth we had, and an advisor coming up to the booth and basically saying, this is great. I never did alts before because they were just too much of a pain in the neck. Now, if you guys can make it easy, I'm going to move forward and show alts to my clients. Now, putting aside the reality of whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for his clients, the notion of it has to be easy is really critical. And that, I think, at the end of the day, is what we're trying to do. That's such a great way to wrap up because I think when we think about the evolutions of various market structures, talked about equities, being able to buy equities with the click of a button. If you think about the life cycle of an investment, the evolutions in market structure, equities was not like that at one point in time. Fixed income derivatives were not like that at one point in time. ETFs, ETFs were complicated when they yep. came, mutual funds were complicated when they came out. Why can't alts? So yep. great way to wrap up this episode. Thanks for watching this episode of the Monthly Alts Pulse. I'm Michael Sidgmore here with Lawrence Calcano. See you next time.